if you'd like, why don't you tell us, you know, a little bit about your your heritage or or how you got involved in all this. Just just let the spirit speak, you know, whatever you want to tell the people. Okay, well, uh, I'm I'm a Gonquin, and uh, and and so when I was really young, my father had this little turtle shell. And I would sit on his lap, and he would tell me about the turtles and how they lay eggs and everything. And so, uh, ever since then, this is uh, this is what I've been doing is actually just uh, studying the uh, the uh, turtles, and uh, and actually all the animals, you know, everything that's in the area. And so I I started to uh, um, get to know the turtle very well. And I'm actually part of the uh, turtle clan also, so it it it, uh, it goes hand in hand with uh, with what I do. Um, with the turtles, it's been it's been just truly amazing as to what we've been finding out with the turtles, especially with the amount of uh, um, changes with the earth, uh, as for like the uh, uh, time that the turtle lays the egg until it hatches. Uh, with all the uh, chemtrails and everything, it's actually making the uh, the uh, turtles hatch hatch um, later. Instead of 90 days, now we're up to 120 days. And so what's been happening is most of the turtles have been overwintering within the uh, nest sites um, and instead of hatching and, you know, moving to the water so that they can hibernate. Um we just got two baby turtles today, uh, and and up here we have snow right now, and this woman found the uh, two baby turtles that actually just got dug up, um, and and here it's it's just like we've been finding, because of the uh, lack of the amount of sunlight, this is what's happening to these turtles. Uh, we've been finding also that the turtles. Uh, with the amount of pollution that's out there, that about 95% of all the turtles have have uh, have uh, some sort of deformities that that we're seeing long before the humans get them. Um, just for example, about 10, 12 years back, we had uh, quite a few turtles where the eggs were 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 uh, breaking out on the bottom before the turtles were were uh, hatching. And right at that, uh, just a couple years later, we started to get a lot of the females that could not hold uh, human babies. They would actually have to be stitched up. So we knew that that was coming. Uh, right now, we're we're running into problems with the turtles' hearts. And right now, if you talk to uh, doctors that are taking care of uh, of a newborns, uh, that's one of the biggest problems that they're having. So the turtles have been able to show us uh, what what is go- uh, coming with the humans, and it's, and and it's never wrong, you know. That's one of the amazing things about it. So we uh, we've been documenting everything um, and uh, trying to pass the word on as to what what is coming, you know. Uh, gotcha. Well, you. Um uh, now I understand. Uh, at some point, you started just kind of caretaking an area, and then the authorities got involved. And and um, uh, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, what happened was that we were studying the uh, waterway over by this one company. It's a uh, milk company, and so what happened was that they kept having spill after spill whether it was milk, cream, or whether it was chemicals. And so we kept turning them in to the, uh, to the DEC, which is the Department of, uh, of Environmental uh, uh, Conservation. And the, these, this agency wouldn't, wouldn't do anything. And so they had a, a, a spill, and it was sodium hydroxide that was dumped, purposely dumped into the stream and it killed 144 fish. That's what we could uh, get. There was still more out there that already sank to the bottom that like we couldn't get. There was a uh, population of about 70 turtles, and they all died. 
Uh, so we turned them in again, and this time the DEC had to had to actually violate this this uh, company. Well, in turn, uh, this company got fined uh, $30,000, and 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 they had to uh, change all of their uh, discharge pipes, which cost them close to like a a, a, a million dollars. Well, what happened after that was that the next thing I know, the DEC and the federal people are knocking on my door, uh, stating that uh, that uh, they heard that I had uh, uh, some some mounted uh, birds of uh, prey because we use them for uh, teaching. Whenever someone picks up a uh, a roadkill hawk or owl or some other bird, they always bring it here and then I'll mount it and then we'll use it for you know animal teachings. Uh, or, or if not, then we use some of the parts for uh, different things. Well, what happened was that they came here and they raided me. I got charged uh, with the most violations that anybody's ever been charged with in in the state of New York. I I got a uh, 190 violations. Uh, um, 105 violations were just for baby turtles because we've been studying them. Then we hatch them. And then we uh, document what's wrong with them. And in this case, uh, most of them were uh, were uh, deformed, where they could not swim, they couldn't raise their heads, they couldn't flip over if they got on their backs, things like this. So they had to be kept in very shallow water. Well, when the DEC came in, they they actually uh, took the turtles and. Um, and I got charged with them. The federal people were here. They went out to the sweat lodge, and they cut the eagle feathers out of the sweat lodge and took them. And they took about half of all the native things that I had, whether it had feathers or uh, or uh, different things like that, like the eagle staff. They actually took it. Um, and and uh, some of the okay, like the uh, medicine shields different things like that. So they took about half of everything. They they really didn't know what what to do. Um, me being a, a, a taxidermist, I have a shop here, and um, and so they went out there and, and they uh, searched out there, went through all the freezers and everything. So I got charged uh, seven violations for the federal, which they uh, dropped all the charges on that, but I never received the eagle feathers back yet. And the uh, uh, state, um, we we went through through the court system uh, here uh, in the small town court, and uh, I got I got charged. I think it was three hundred and twenty dollars, and only one of the violations. And then I I'm, I can't get in any trouble uh, for a uh, year, which now we have appealed. I'm going back to court on the twenty first of this month for the appeal. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the government actually really, uh, they never should have done what they did. They're actually, uh, telling us that I cannot practice with, uh, uh, any type of, uh, animal, uh, whether it's feathers or, or skins or things like this, we cannot practice, uh, outside the reservation. Now, I... I live outside the reservation, and so there. The uh, the New York State government actually claims that there's a law that states we cannot practice unless we're on the reservation. We cannot have these things unless we're on the reservation, and so this is why they took everything, and this is why we're fighting it, because this can happen to anybody, even people that live on the reservation, according to the government is that once you leave that reservation, if you do not have permits for the feathers, for other animal parts, things like this, uh, you can be, uh, uh, you can actually get arrested for it. And then they take everything, and then it's really hard to get them back. And people believe just because you have a card, a, uh, a native card, that, that that says that everything's okay. But according to the government... The uh, the law doesn't read that. Uh huh. Well, I suspect it's going to be an interesting court case, uh, especially since um, 
native religion uh, uh, has been legal since 1975. So, um, uh, well, what do you think about all this, Mark? Um, you mentioned the chemtrails and the turtles and the deformities, and there are increasing reports of uh, high levels of ultraviolet light radiation coming in through and hitting us. Uh, Dan Wigington, who does a geoengineering watch website, he just recently put something out saying that the UV is about a thousand percent higher than what we're being told. The reason this is important is because the UV and all forms of radiation coming into the planet because of the Earth's magnetic fields weakening, um, that can cause mutations in all animals, mm. including turtles. So some of the things that you may be seeing in the turtles possibly could be early, the early precursor signs of of UV and other radiation incoming that's causing distortion. And the smaller turtles or babies or eggs and of all life is more vulnerable to radiation mutation than, you know, the other things that are bigger. So <clears throat> that might be something you might be aware of that uh, on my... Uh, Facebook page where Blue Water posted a thing for the show right below that in the comments. I post, I posted a link to Dan Wingerton's latest video where he talks about the uh, the UV levels and also the uh, some of the dangers. Now I think that my thought is is that some aspect of these chemtrails, I believe, is they know this and. The, especially the aluminum in the chemtrails. Is, aluminum is a very good torsion reflector, the torsion energy increasing. So it would be something that you would put up in the atmosphere as a, a tor what the Russians call torsion energy. It's a spinning energy. In the Lakota, I don't know what it is in the Jibbo, but in the Lakota they call it skonskon is a way to say it. Uh, it is a dual rotating light magnetic energy fields that rotate and form our creation, literally. Um, so that is also changing with the changing of the magnetic fields of the planet. And it probably is a big aspect of us uh, uh, moving from one world cycle to the next. But the aluminum in the chemtrail is a good torsion manipulator or reflector. So I suspect that one of the reasons for some of the chemtrail activity is I think they're aware of, of the incoming UV, they're aware of the torsion, they're aware of all these things, and they're also aware this is all leading us into a pretty difficult situation, including what John Casey says is a mini ice age by about 20, 2032 in that time frame. So what you're seeing, some of the aspects of what you're seeing, I think, in the turtles and maybe other things, some of it could be, you know, chemical pollutants and stuff, but some of it could be the effects of the UV and other forms of radiation coming in. And so, you know, these guys coming in and go after you, you essentially are collecting evidence of a problem. And something in various ways or not, maybe there's some companies dumping chemicals they don't want people finding about out about. Maybe they don't. There be maybe several things of evidence that you're collecting that they may not want you to talk about. And the reason maybe going after you so heavy-handed is uh, it's kind of their way of telling you be quiet <laughs> and don't say anything because you know, that that may be what's going on here. So you might want to mm -hmm. be just a little bit careful. <laughs> <laughs> But it's probably too late. The cap's already out of the bag, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, that's maybe too. Watch the uh, trees, the trees and the plants. When we see them, the trees starting to burn up, and plants starting to have problems. Though they they can be susceptible to the radiation as well incoming. So if if we start seeing this and there are many 
of the native people and their cultures, they talk about the trees especially and other things just kind of dying, usually from the top down. That's the way they describe it. And that could be uh, a thing of the radiation increasing. And if our magnetic, our magnetic fields are declining and they're, they're declining faster now in recent years than ever before. It's speeding up. And along with that, we'll get it, our magnetic poles are moving. And we could get to a point where we don't have a magnetic field. And then there is no protection. It's like on Star Trek. Shields are down. You know, Captain, shields are down. Klingons launching photon torpedoes. We're cooked. <laughs> We're dead. <laughs> Not so, good. Yeah, it would be incredibly bad. And in the past, when this happens, not just turtles, but all forms of life take a pretty big hit. Uh, It wipes out anywhere from 55 to 95% of all life forms on the planet. So it would be, and then after you get hit like that, you get uh, oil, hydrocarbons, all kinds of stuff coming down out, out of the sky besides the radiation. That's where the Mayans, not just the Mayans, but actually people over in the Middle East and other places on the planet said oil literally rained down out of the sky. Wow. And it, that happens in our solar system right now, out on the moon of uh, Saturn, Titan. It's raining, literally oil, hydrocarbons. And there's an interesting characteristic of that moon of Titan. It has almost zero magnetic field. So, and then once all this happens, the next thing that happens is in conjunction with this, you move into a mini and a full-blown ice age. So we are looking at possibly entering into this type of scenario within the next, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, or a little bit longer maybe. So some of the things that you're looking at right now with these turtles, if it ties in the radiation and all that, it, it, behind the scenes, you know, people seeing these type of things and reporting on it, it could be also evidence of that occurring. So, you know. Well, uh, one of the things that you talked about was about the uh, um, the uh, mag- magnetic uh, force. One of the things that we're finding out with the turtles is that when they hatch, what they used to do was they would go s- just just dig straight up to the surface. Uh, what we're finding now is the turtles are digging out about 18 inches, going north and also going south. So, so uh, what we did was that we took the baby turtles and we put this grid down and we put them in this special box. And and so we filmed them, uh, putting them right in the middle of the of the grid, and having north and south, east and west. And and so we tracked them to uh, see how long it would take them to actually go whatever direction. And it took, uh, uh, the, the average was about 22 minutes. And then we went and did the same thing with the same turtle, and then we put magnets on, on the north end and also on the uh, south end. And they made just about a, 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 a straight direction, and it only took six minutes. And, like, we're talking, like, over 100 turtles that, like, we, we uh, did this with to uh, make sure that our findings were all right, that there's a problem going on. So so it's something new that, that nobody else has, has even uh, talked about or, or, or even looked at. That's amazing. Wow. I, I wonder... Um uh, Mark, do you, do you think a, a Faraday cage might help him in his research? Um, it could, I guess. I don't know. I haven't really looked at the Faraday cage in terms of the, you know, something like that. I would think it would because Faraday's do, I think they do filter out electromagnetic. Right. So, right. So it might, you know, it might... Uh, but the the thing that's interesting about what he's doing too is in the initial part would be the turtles if and, and birds and other things that are responding to the magnetic force lines of the planet, if you're doing something like that and we see them moving in a different direction than what we would have 
seen them done in the past. Right. What they're doing is they're telling us where the magnetic pole is moving towards. They're realigning <laughs> with that. Just like, remember, the airports in recent years, they've realigned runways on airports because of the magnetic uh, compass readings being different. So I would suspect the turtles are, and other life is doing the same thing. It's It's moving to where the magnetic field is moving to. Yeah. Well, I know uh, Mike Bastine has uh, been working with you, and we've had him on several times, and uh, he's uh, uh, always talking about what, what you've uh, been doing. Well, I see you're getting lots of media attention, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, just, it's amazing. There's just... Uh, uh, your website is um, insacredwaters.com, and there's lots of um, uh, excellent information there and um, uh, uh, media articles, photos, how to get involved, how to contact you, and uh, how to donate. And uh, yeah, you might want to think up uh, think about putting up a PayPal uh, button, but. Uh, yeah, you know, um, tell folks a, a little bit more about uh, uh, anything else come to mind. Uh, uh, just yeah, just go ahead, John. Okay. Um, well, I guess the 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 biggest thing is that you know uh, we really wish people would start to wake up and start to recognize uh, what's exactly happening to this world, to this Earth Mother. And we, you know, you can bring all of these different things to to the people's attention, as for photographs and actually showing the uh, turtles and 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 uh, how how they're coming out. Uh, you know, we're we're finding uh, more and more of the turtles that are not developing within the uh, the uh, 90 days. We're we're finding where after 90 days they are still in the first weeks and and uh so so it's uh their their hatch period would be probably about 300 300 days and you know this is uh we're we're finding turtles that are actually uh uh being uh, dwarfed they're 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 tiny and and they're not growing and you know you can bring this attention to everybody, but yet people just look at it and then they say, "Well, you know that's uh, that's uh, really too bad." Then they go about their uh, lives and never once caring about about the turtles, never once caring about the Earth Mother, and that becomes really disturbing. And you know the uh, the uh, uh, the help that Mike's been doing, Mike Bustine, has just been unbelievable as for trying to get this out to the public and and the amount of backing whether it's court backing or whether it's the uh the uh, studies that we do has has been just un honestly just it's it's been a blessing to the turtles you know it it uh it uh, truly has been and Mike's right here right now and I like him to oh great uh, yeah, I was wondering yeah, yeah, I'm here, Blue Otter and uh, Badger. Um, the reason that I, I like to step back is the way I see it is John is right there in the trenches, and he's doing the traditional work, being of a turtle clan, and practicing the belief that if you're a member of this clan system, that it's his duty to step up and protect, observe, teach, learn, use the turtle and the medicine, and not just the turtles. I mean, his taxidermy work is just incredible. And, again, we all know that this is nothing new, that Native people use animal parts, uh, the fur, the feathers, uh, teeth, the bones, we, we utilize all of these things that the animals leave behind, and just because an agency has made some new regulations that say everyone who handles or uses these has to get this permit, 
is nonsense. And, you know, we, we brought in some other analogies, um, <clears throat> like Catholic uh, church behavior. Um, they're telling us that you can't practice unless you're on the reservation. Well, do they tell the Catholics that once they leave the church that they can't take any artifacts or anything home with them and they can't have their belief system at home? I, I mean, this is getting kind of ridiculous. And that's why stepping up, uh, you know, <clears throat> what I've seen and, and observed of what John's work is, it's on such a high level of insights to what the animal medicines are are doing and and teaching us. Now, he's making connections, so utilizing some of the science that's out there, doing water testing. I mean, if you guys could see... Uh, the records and how much water testing that John does every single day. They go to different locations. They're taking samples, taking temperatures, doing so many things. It's just beyond. And most reporters that have come out here have observed what John's been doing over the last couple of years, and they'll say he's doing more extensive work or research than doctoral programs do in universities. And the detail of the things that he, that he documents from the turtles, I mean, they measure. You know, and some people ask, well, how does he get the turtle eggs? Locally, everybody knows that John's been doing this for 30 years. If a turtle gets hit in the springtime and it's a female, and it can't be rehabbed, and it can't be doctored back to health. John harvests those eggs to preserve and give them a future to try to live. And you start looking at this and saying, and that's against the law, and yet the DEC will allow corporations to have chemical spills, violate their permits of what they're contaminating the waters with, and they won't violate those companies, but they're going after John for not harming the environment, not harming the animals, and actually going above and beyond to harvest these eggs, document everything, put the eggs into the nest. He'll make a nest, have underground cameras. He will monitor and videotape. Maybe John should fill in a little bit more of the detail because of the things that he's observed, the changes in the net, too. So I'm going to give it back to John. Okay. One of the things that we found is that these these tiny little insects, they're only about a sixteenth of an inch, and and they're called uh, springtails. And without the springtails, because what these little insects do is that they actually eat the fungus off of the eggs so that the eggs will stay healthy. Without these uh, uh, little little creatures, uh, the the eggs have been dying. We we used to have a ninety percent hatch rate. This is going back about twenty twenty five years ago. Now we're we're lucky. We're we're probably having about a forty percent hatch rate. Most of these little insects are completely gone. Whether it's uh, caused by the acid rain because uh, we take all of the all of the uh, rainfall, uh, uh, and and we do a pH on the on the rain, which is about 4.0, which is almost like vinegar, which will wow. eat calcium off off of the eggs, and that also kills these these little insects, which are trying to keep these eggs alive. So you know this this uh, circle is very very important. Now, uh, you know, we also, with the eggs, we will take the, uh, the thickness of the egg. And, and, and we found over the past 15 years you know, uh, that, that, uh, that uh, these eggs that used to be 12,000 thick are down to about 6,000. So, so you can see, you know, uh, uh, the turtles really don't have much of a chance anymore. They 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 are truly don't. I'm expecting them to finally, you know, start to really uh, just just be gone. Um, if 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 
if the um, agencies, the environmental agencies, don't get together and start to change their uh, standards that are out there, you can really expect, especially up in up in New York, you can expect the the uh, turtle population to to be way down. I mean, like right now, it's probably halfway down. And and uh, so the next ten years, you can see it down to probably down to like a quarter of uh, of what it used to be. So like instead of finding the old elder turtles, you know, that would lay forty eggs, now we're finding teenage turtles that only lay about twenty eggs. Out of that twenty eggs, you're lucky if you get ten ten that actually hatch. And if you do get ten that hatch, you're lucky if you get two that are that are healthy, that are not not deformed. So, you know, uh, the 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 studies that we do, we try to study every bit of of a turtle's life, every bit that where it goes, how it does, and everything like this, so that we can uh, try to educate these agencies and saying there's there's positively a uh, a, a problem, even with the uh, giant. Uh, um, the uh, wind uh, turbines, we found out that the vibrations that they put in the ground, because the minute that you turn a, uh, a, a turtle egg, you, you've actually killed it. Now, we have this uh, special machine that is called a uh, thumper, and, and we did a four-year study using only eight eggs of a snapping turtle. And we found out that because of the vibration that like these, these turbines uh, do, uh, actually kills the eggs. So every place where they put these turbines, especially if there's wood turtles or else box turtles, they're actually killing these these eggs. Wow. Well, let me ask you something, John. I've been reading several of these articles, uh, you know, where the feds claim that, that because you're not a U.S. federally recognized Indian, well, you know, five or six years ago, there was there was a Canadian status Indian uh, who was arrested for eagle feathers, and and um, you know that was settled case law as far as I know. Uh, but I, I guess there are Indians in Canada that are what they call status Indians or non-status Indians, and uh, it's either that or the feds don't know which end is up, so forth, and. Uh, um, that's something you might want to let your attorney know about because if you're a status Indian in Canada, you should have no problem possessing uh, anything a, a U.S. federalized Indian can possess. We have, uh, this is Mike, um, we have done that, and I know the case that you're citing. We did use that and look at it, and Good. it is similar to John's situation. John is Algonquin, and so am I. I just showed John my paperwork because my dad did get on the rolls, and they did send me a letter that said because my father was on the rolls that I have the same classification or would be considered a status native. But John's case, because his family uh, was removed or was not staying in contact with the rest of the relatives up in his area, they don't recognize him. So he falls under a new category or a category that they created in Canada called Matisse or Matisse. Right. And he does have that card. And it is recognized in Canada. The Canadian government, actually the year that John got raided, uh, two months later, the Canadian government did not respond to the appeal that was on that case about Matisse, and they handed down recognition of status being recognized by the Canadian government of Matisse being status people, that they should be recognized. Now, why is it he can be status and recognized in Canada but the, the American government, and this is the case that came into play, was the one that you were talking about where they came into, the, the man was using eagle feathers at a ceremony, and they were using a church at the time or on church grounds, and there was 
federal agents there that basically said he couldn't be possessing or using those feathers, and the nation that he was from was not on the U.S. registry or on their list of recognized Native people, although his people were recognized and status, just because it wasn't on the inept people who work in the government's list doesn't mean he wasn't Native, and that's why they had to go through the court system and they finally had to give his feathers back. Yeah. So what they did say, though, is that when he passes on, he cannot hand those feathers off. That's nonsense. In our tradition, before you leave, we already have people in place that we know will be responsible and take care of our sacred items that we leave behind. So for them to dictate and say, well, we'll give them back to him, but he can't hand them off to anybody, what kind of reasoning is that? If he's allowed to have them back and he can use them in ceremony, but they're telling him he can't hand them off, to those feathers off to anyone, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah. This, you know, I mean, this is why we have to start pointing out how illogical, how ridiculous, why are they targeting Native people and they let other groups get away with basically murder and and we get targeted because we have feathers or we have items that have always been traditionally things that we don't go out to kill to use. We harvest these animals and these things that are left behind, whether it gets hit by a car or however it happens to be uh, found and used. And here's what I think is really key. John handles every one of these animals that come here, whether it's a turtle or a bird of some species, as if he, he treats them better than most humans treat their dead. And he honors that and uses this as the medicine and the teaching that comes from it. I mean, I'm going to let John tell you some of the things, the details of what he finds when he taxidermies an animal and who brought it to him and what the animal says about the person who brought it to him. You know, like, you know, like a lot of the, uh, the uh, birds of a, of a prey, usually when a person brings it, if you, you know, when I go to skin the bird out, I'll always look right into the right into the uh, body cavity, and I'll check out different organs to see if there's anything wrong uh, with the bird, okay? And just for example, there was one time where this uh, 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 hawk, I believe it was, came, and when I opened it up, the, uh, the liver was actually just completely shot. And so I called the person and said, do you, do you know anybody that has a bad liver and everything like this, you know, uh, having any sort of health problems. And, uh, and uh, sure enough, it, 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 uh, it uh, showed up that, uh, that a person, uh, uh, like a week later or a couple weeks later, died from because of a, a, uh, a liver problem that was already uh, going on. Uh, the, the same thing with the deer. When, when people bring the deer heads here, the, uh, the racks, well, uh, when you know how to to uh, to uh, um, like actually read the rack, you can tell the person what his strong points are, what his uh, what his weak points are. If you take and measure the rack, the different points and everything like that, that it always turns out that some place in their life, like if you have a point that is that is six inches, that uh, uh, that person. Uh, probably had something uh, happen to them when back when they were six years old that was really devastating to them, you know, uh, uh, different things like this. And so, you know, these these birds that uh, these animals that come, we open them all up so that we can share that knowledge of of, of why this animal came to us. And also, you know, what is going on with the animal because, you know, not only are 
are uh, uh, hawks and owls, you know, messenger birds, but all the animals are messengers when they come here. And so we, uh, I mean, like right now, we have this seagull that uh, that I just came and here this bird's still alive. Uh, it got hung up in, in this fishing lure and people were driving over it. And so the bird's doing great, but that's telling us, you know, we need to look at our own personal environment. We need to address our own personal problems within our own little world that, like, we live in uh, as for, you know, uh, personal life besides taking care of the rest of the environment. So, you know, each one of these animals that come is truly amazing, and it's truly gifts. Uh, uh, for us to to help us to be better people, better humans. But unfortunately, you know, there isn't very many people that can read these anymore. And, you know, that's pretty sad. But, you know, most people would just drive by a dead thing anyhow and say, I don't want to touch it. You know, so these are just a, a very few of the things that, that uh, go on here. And I've had a lot of people bring me animals that will say, tell me tell me what it's saying to me so that I can, you know, do what I'm supposed to do. And, uh, uh, you know, and a lot of them are, um, are, uh, are non-natives now because they understand that there's, there's a connection between uh, us and, and the animal world, you know. So I'll give it back to Mike here. Thanks, so you you can, you can see and hear that what John is doing is so key and and accurate that people are uh, have accused him in the past uh, practicing uh, satanic things or, or uh, voodoo, um, you know just things that are so outrageous and it's just the opposite people don't understand that in our traditions that we are honoring the creator through these lives these these people basically the turtle people the uh, hawk people we if we if we just call them an animal it seems to d- diminish the respect or, or the treatment of these beings, and so we find it to be more helpful to use references as the, the animal's name but people because they deserve the same respect that any human being does. In fact, uh, at one point, Mad Bear used to say the animal's, need to be honored for their lives because they're still following their sacred instructions, not like the human beings. The humans know their sacred instructions, or some do. Most have detached so far. But they, the human is not following their sacred instructions. And so this is another aspect of saying we're trying to teach everyone to, to become more respectful is not just a native trait or element. It's not just our job. It's everybody's job. And this is what we're trying and John is trying to do is use the time we have left here to show people that this is very important work and we need to help them have a greater understanding of the the roles that are being played here and how they will help all of this life. Well, that's that's very admirable. That's all I got to say. So, uh, where do you guys go from here? Well, uh, you know, I've had the discussion with John and with the lawyer that uh, this is not a good case. This is a great case. And it's a great case because the, the violations that John was charged with, there was no criminal activity connected to any of the violations. And that's what is key for us to be able to take this into court and show them 
In fact, here's the statement that the uh, prosecuting, the, the prosecutor, the district attorney for the county was in the trial, and he only had two, uh, actually one question for John. At the end of the trial, he asked John, he said, so, John, when this is over, when we're done here with this trial, are you going to go and get a permit so that you can do continue to do this work? And and I was sitting in the courtroom, and I'm just holding some sacred tobacco saying, give him the right answer, John. And he did. He said no. Because do they ask any other religion to have a permit so that they can practice their belief? No, they don't. So he he made the correct answer or said the correct answer, which was no, we don't need a permit to practice our beliefs. And then the district attorney said to the judge and the court, there are no bad people in this courtroom. And I said, yes. Wow. That is opening the door for our appeal. And I'm saying, if there's no bad people, then what are we doing here? Why are we here? So here we are. Well, Mike and John, it sort of reminds me of the uh, what happened with the traditional Hopi elders. One of the tactics that the progressive Hopis would use in the government against the traditional Hopi elders, they'd come in and say, well, we're protecting the cultural values of the Hopi people, and these traditional elders are talking about things, exposing things, and doing things, which is violating it. So they turn the tables, and they try to make it look like they were doing something good, like protecting the culture and stuff, when what they're really doing was they're <laughs> attacking the traditional Hopi elders. And this is, sounds kind of like the same thing, that the, the government agency and stuff that's supposed to be responsible for actually uh, protecting the wildlife or whatever and, and what really is happening is that, you know, they're protecting industries and stuff. They're polluting and all this, and they're in the ideal position to do that because people are going to come report to them. So they can nip it in the bud right then. When someone comes to report something or is doing something or collecting information like John is, <laughs> they find out about this. They're going to be they're there for the opposite reason that you see their stated position. They're not there to protect the wildlife and the rivers and stuff. That's not their job. Their job is to protect the people that are polluting it. So when you come to them and they find out that you got evidence of the detail that John has, them and their buddies see that as a big threat. And so what are they going to do? They're going to say, well, how how can we get John? What can we do? Oh, well, he's got all this these animals and this stuff and taxidermy. And all. Well, we'll get him with the very agency that he was maybe going to report to. They go, so they'll find out something and they'll twist it into their way of uh, coming in and <clears throat> shutting him down. And I see this as pretty much them. You know, I think that they see potentially John and all of the detail of his evidence and stuff as a potential threat for some of them and their buddies. That's Absolutely. what I see here. One of the one of the first questions the lawyer when he looked things over and we had our first consultation first one of the first questions he asked John he said who did you piss off because, <laughs> because there was nothing of substance there to justify the activity that they had done and this is the thing that what we want to follow up with is to take one of the agents to task afterward we win and overturn the appeal, we want to take one of the agents that was here on the site back to court as an individual and show and prove that this guy didn't apply the the law correctly in this situation and should be removed from his position. And I said to John, I said, when we show that, the DEC will fire that guy. They'll get rid of him because they don't want this kind of publicity coming out. And, you know, when we start seeing things like they're going to open up a new season on a certain species of animal, and uh, John says there's hardly any of these fishers 
around here as it is. Why are they going to open a season up for them? And I said, because then they can put it on their special concern list or the endangered list, and then they can take this. I said, you see, that's called protecting the environment and the animals. How ridiculous is this? So we're standing the ground, and I'm going to tell you, not one reservation, and we've gone to them, and we've told them what we're doing, not one person will stand up from the reservations to stand with us. And I said, that's, that's okay. It's not okay, but it's okay. I said, if we were going to appeal or ask them to apply to open a new gas station or a tobacco shop or a yeah. casino, casino, I said, they'd invite you in and have dinner for you. And I said, you know, this is the sadness that, that we see what's going on. I said, the dilution of the mind and, and the disconnect from the heart, people have no idea what's coming down the pike. And, and that's, that's what's worrisome for us. But we're not, we're not going to quit. doesn't matter. We're just we're standing the ground, and we're just going to keep going in there. And I said to John, I said, when you do it with a calm and assertive and you, the confidence that we know that we have, this is why I said that district attorney looked everything over. He knew they didn't have a case. When I was sitting at the final stage of the trial, I was sitting next to another attorney that helped us get the lawyer that's representing John, and I had a handful of sacred tobacco. And this lawyer asked me afterwards, because he saw what I was doing, he said, what were you doing at that last stage just before the district attorney got up? I said, I was telling the tobacco they didn't have a case. I said, (laughs) they didn't have a case. And he admitted that when he said, there's no bad people in the courtroom. So I just said, I'm going into court with another handful of tobacco when we go to the appeal. And I said, just let them open their eyes and see. They, they've got to overturn this. There's no, there's no matter. There's no choice in the matter. They have to overturn it because there was no crime being committed. And that's how we're going to keep pushing forward and keeping John to do what he's doing. Because he he was worried there for a while, and he said, well, what happens if they come back? I said, they can't. It hasn't been settled yet. They can't come back here. In fact, John used to do work with the DEC, and he used to help them find certain turtles in certain areas where their habitat was. And they saw all the things that he had been doing years ago, and they would say to him, well, you know what, John, you're doing good work. Keep doing what you're doing. And they didn't ever write it down. They never gave him a document stating that. But I said to the lawyer, I go, even when it's done verbally, I said, isn't this a form of entrapment that they're telling him to go ahead and do what he's doing and then years later come back and violate him for the exact same things that they were allowing him to do before. But I just said, I'm not interested in the entrapment. I'm just saying, get these people away from John. Let him keep doing the work he's doing. We're not harming any animals or the environment. Let's keep those people away and let John do what he does best. You know, one of the amazing things that I was reading about was, uh, you know, in the Bible it says that uh, every good thing will be established by two or three witnesses. Well, John, you ran into another John Volpe, and he's also a, a, a turtle person. <laughs> Tell us about that. <laughs> well, another John Volpe, I'm not sure what you're uh, alluding to there. Well, there was there was a newspaper article that uh, that there there was another person uh, in your area also named uh, John Volpe. Oh, okay, yeah, that's his son. Yeah, yeah, like that was was my son that they uh, broadcast that uh, that uh, he's the one that was doing all the wrong stuff and and it really hurt him. I mean, his his boss uh, John almost got. Got uh, got uh, fired from wow from his, from his job because of it. 
and and so the uh, the uh, the people uh, printed that that it wasn't uh, John K that it was John P. Uh, oh, okay. So so my boy, he was really he was really hot by that, and so was I, you know, because he had nothing to do with it. Well, this is. Have had to cause a, a lot of stress and a lot of consternation and a lot of sleepless nights and but then there were the highs also you know only in this kind of situation can you experience the highs and lows and and really feel like you're really living. It did it, it at first, uh, John and and the whole group of volunteers uh, were really um, just. In a, such a bad place, thinking this is it, they're just going to go after us, and we've got nothing to stand on, and we're, we're done. And I told them, I said, that's not true. And I said to them, I go, when we go to the courtroom, we have to remove any of the anger that we express just in our facial expression, it has to be gone. I said, if we don't move, if we don't get rid of that, we're never going to win. We won't get anywhere. So we have to go in there not only confident but respectful. Even though it's hard to be respectful in a, in a system that's doing the wrong thing. And this is what I said to the lawyer. I said, at the end of the day, I said, if I'm going to be doing some activity and they're going to come to me and tell me that it's illegal, but at the end of the day I go, but it's the right thing to do, I'm going to do the right thing to do every day. I said, because it's based on our, our culture, it's based on our practice, and it's based on the concepts that every human being should be taught or helped to understand that this is a gift. This whole creation is a gift. And we don't own it, and we can never own it, but we have to give it its due respect and we have to work with it on its high, the highest honor that we know how to do. Well, we sure appreciate you guys uh, appearing. Now, this interview, uh, I could give you guys uh, the uh, the HTML or whoever your webmaster is, so you can you can literally put this uh, on your website. People could listen to it. They can see that uh, they could just you know click on a, a audio link and listen and. Uh, but um, uh, appreciate you guys coming on and telling your story. It's an amazing story. All right. Well, we appreciate that opportunity, yeah. and thank you, Blue Otter, and thank you, ba uh, Badger, uh, Mark, because you guys are still continuing to do a great service, and by providing people like John and myself to keep doing what we're doing and come out into the open, give. The, the accurate details, not the first articles that were coming out when John was first violated. We, we took exception to that, and that's when I called one of the reporters that had done an interview with me years before, and I called him and I said, Will, I said, where did you get that information from? I said, and don't tell me you just got it from the DEC. I said, because I know that's what you did. And I said, you didn't interview John, you didn't get the other side of the story, and I said, I want you to do that, because he said, I can't. He said, my editor told me that, that that was it. He didn't want me doing another article. And he said, but I will give you the head editor's name, and he says, if you call there and say that you want an article written um, giving John's side of the story, I said, then give me the name. And I called the paper, and I talked to that editor, and I said, we want to have the, the other side of the story told the way it should be told without misleading the public and letting them know that John is not a criminal, he is not doing anything wrong, and they did. They sent us a reporter, and John made the front page of the uh, Buffalo paper in, in the city. So, you know, we just kept pressing it, not real hard, but just enough to let them know you know, why Why can't we get John's story out? Don't you like talking to Native people? I mean, what, what's going on here? You're going to talk to the DEC, an agency, but you won't talk to the actual people who are involved with this? So they did, and, and we did follow up, 
and we're continuing to follow up. So thank you for you guys for providing this opportunity. Oh, any any time. And, uh, you know, this is an election year, and all kinds of magical things happen during election year, so let's, let's send out some <laughs> prayers that some heavy-duty politicians could make this a cause celebre. Yeah. 